This is an ABC podcast. Hello, hello. My name's Ruby and this is News Time. Hi, Ruby. Hi, Ruby. On today's show, we'll dig up some super-sized cicadas. Then it's time to celebrate our magnificent musos for Oz Music Month. We'll visit a bush university at the top of Australia and then get your tutus ready for a meeting with a dancer at the Royal Ballet. And you know what comes after that? Wow of the week! You got it! All of our stories are exciting, but the wow of the week is the one that made us go wow-wee. What do you think? Shall we begin? Let's go! Story number five! Do you hear that? I know they're very noisy. It's one of those things which is on trees. Yes, it's a cicada. And that's just a regular-sized one. I wonder what an ancient cicada would have sounded like. They were the size of small birds. What? Yep. Ancient cicada fossils have been unearthed on a farm near Gulgong in New South Wales. These fossils are about 15 million years old, and they're from three species that are related to the noisy singing cicadas we hear in trees today, especially in summer. But one of these ancient cicada species is much, much, much bigger than today's cicadas. A single wing on this animal measured eight centimetres. That's about the size of a coffee mug. It's the biggest cicada ever found in Australia. What would you do if you saw one? I'd probably run. Oh, me too. Scientists say it's difficult to study cicadas because their bodies are extremely fragile and they're often destroyed by nature before they can turn into fossils. But the wing fossils of this ancient cicada were in great condition because they'd been preserved in rock created by volcanoes. Scientists will keep studying the cicada fossils to learn more about how they've evolved into the loudest insects in the world. In fact, scientists think that cicadas were one of the first creatures on Earth to ever make a sound. Story number four. I love music. I love singing, dancing, chilling out and listening to it. I love fast music and car music. I like the fast ones because I can dance and dance and dance. Cool. What about Australian music? I love Dance Monkey by Tones and I. Thelma Plum. Good choices. I was asking because it's Oz Music Month. That's a time to celebrate Australia's awesome music makers. You might not realise it, but it can be tough making a living as a musician in Australia. And COVID-19 made it even tougher. Concerts were called off as venues went into lockdown and lots of musicians weren't earning money from ticket and merchandise sales. Music fans missed out on going to see their favourite performers in person. But there are lots of ways we can support Aussie musos. By listening to their music a lot and maybe paying them. Go to their shows. 
exactly. You can find lots of Australian music on radio stations like ABC Kids Listen too. This Oz Music Month is all about celebrating the local legends of the Australian music scene, from famous faces to the musos playing gigs every weekend in your local area. Happy Oz Music Month! Happy Oz Music Month! Happy Oz Music Month! Story number three! When most people think of universities, they think of buildings, classrooms with desks and big cities. It's a place where adults go when they're done with school and try to learn heaps and get very prepared for work. Yep, university is a place people go to keep learning. And in southeast Arnhem Land in the Northern Territory, there's a Bush University. People call it Bush Uni, but the proper name is the Woyagibba Study Hub. I think it would be out in the bush and be made of like twigs and things. Like a big block of land where people are walking around learning about stuff. Yeah. At Bush Uni, students learn outside or in tents. And every night, everyone gathers around the campfire to share stories and learn from elders and teachers like Helen and Kevin Rogers. Helen and Kevin teach students all about their Indigenous culture. Maybe they learn how to speak different languages, learn different cultured games, and it could be stories from their tribes. That's right. Students learn about bush medicine, bush tucker, and Aboriginal languages. So they can protect it. Yes, and you can understand that you need to respect it. Yep. After 10 weeks, students graduate from the Warrior Giver Study Hub and attend a special ceremony to celebrate all their hard work. Story number two. The Royal Ballet is in the United Kingdom and it stars the world's greatest dancers. Joe Palmaine is one of them. He can dance in a wheelchair. He does use a wheelchair and sometimes crutches. Joe started dancing when he was four and he became extremely successful. He was even accepted into the Royal Ballet School and performed with them in a production of The Nutcracker. I think you need to practice a lot and you need to work hard. Joe certainly does work hard. But a few years ago, he injured his knee and needed surgery. The situation got even worse when Joe was hurt again after he was involved in a car accident. By the time he turned 15, Joe was using a wheelchair and was worried he wouldn't be able to dance anymore. I think it would be hard, but if he had a lot of practice, I think he would be able to do it. You're right. Joe's mum found a flyer about wheelchair dancing and Joe decided to give it a try. He loved it, so he began entering competitions and he won prizes in ballroom and Latin dancing. Joe also went back to his beloved ballet and the Royal Ballet asked him to star in some of their productions. Maybe because he's so good at ballet, also to recognise that 
You can have disability, but you still can do stuff. That is true. Joe describes himself as a differently abled dancer. He says he hopes to challenge perceptions, start conversations, and open up opportunities for himself and other differently abled dancers. So they can show the world it's about trying your best, being confident. Congratulations, Joe. Congratulations, Joe. Oh, and is it that time already? Wow of the week. This story made me go wow because, well, I've never seen something like that. It's amazing! In ancient Egypt, when leaders and wealthy people passed away, they were buried in something called a sarcophagus. It looks like it's stone and it has a face carved into it. Something from Egypt, like a tomb where they bury someone. A tomb is a space, usually underground, where these sarcophagi were kept. And recently, an archaeologist named Ola El Agizi discovered an ancient tomb near the Egyptian city of Cairo. Ola suspected there could be a sarcophagus in the tomb, so she spent a week using buckets to dig out loads of sand. And then she found an opening to an underground shaft. She squeezed herself into a bucket, attached it to a rope, and carefully lowered herself into the shaft. Kind of creepy. I reckon it would be terrifying lowering yourself into an underground tomb. But there, deep beneath the ground, Ola found a stone sarcophagus covered in drawings and writing called hieroglyphs. They were dedicated to a person named Ptah Emwia. Ptah Emwia was a royal official who was in charge of the treasure belonging to Egypt's mightiest pharaoh, King Ramses II. I think they would have felt amazed to see something like that. Stunned. I think you're right. Ola also noticed the lid to the sarcophagus was broken. The mummy in it could have tried to get out. I hope not. Historians believe this broken lid is a sign that ancient tomb raiders had stolen treasure that was buried with the body inside the sarcophagus. I think they should fix it and then keep it somewhere really, really safe. Good idea. The sarcophagus is believed to be more than 3,000 years old. And eventually, it'll go into a museum for safekeeping. And that is it, my friends. Thanks, Ruby! Don't forget to test yourself with the Newstime quiz. It's in the show notes. I'll catch you next week. Bye! Bye! Or, as they say in Icelandic, bless bless. Newstime is an ABC Kids Listen podcast. For other awesome podcasts to play, music to move to and stories and soundtracks for sleep, download the ABC Kids Listen app. It's free from your app store.